All right. Tonight is what about the church? You know, there have always been weird, unbiblical concepts about the church. And um, you always have people that misrepresent God, but you also have the people of God that do a great job. Um, the only legitimate understanding of the church must come from the New Testament scriptures, though, um, that portrays the church as the people whose hearts have been transformed by the gospel as they have repented of their sins. And it's by this new life that's infused in them by the Spirit of God and the Word of God that they become transformed. They love God, they, they have a passion for God's word, and they become the church, the people of God. Too many today are attempting to redefine the nature of the church in order to um, give in to the culture and the relative uh, moral ethics that have really no morals at all. And so they're trying to make people comfortable and lower the standards so this way they can still call it the church. Listen, you can call anything you want a car, but it doesn't mean it is. Um, a car is a car. A house is a house. And the church are those people who have been called by God who have been saved, forgiven of their sins, and their life has been radically transformed. And they are constantly looking to the Lord. They're not perfect. They're not sinless. But they live differently. And they know that Jesus is their Lord. And they are looking for him to come for them. It's real simple. Now, there are many metaphors in the church, in the scriptures for the church. Um, but um, the one that probably comes uh, the most uh, intimate is that of a bride, and we'll look at that a little bit. The bride of Christ, uh, she has uh, given us the gown. None of us could wear it. He has cleansed us. He has made us whiter than snow. He has taken us to himself, and we are looking forward for him to come, and we go to the wedding with him. So let me um, to answer the question of what is the church and by its nature. Let me ask three questions. First, um, what is meant by the church? Second, what is the developed concept of the church? And then thirdly, what is the church to do? This will give us a good understanding. What is meant by the church, first of all? Um, the misunderstanding of what the church is um, is very wide. Some people define the church as a place where religious people go, old people go, and they just get to be comforted. You know what I mean? You know, you're one step in the banana peeling, the one in the grave, and you're ready to go, so you're trying to do all you can. Um, and, and, and one aspect is kind of true because not too many young people are in church. Uh, when you see young people in church, it's, uh, it's, it's an eye-opener. And we've always been fortunate to have a balance of young, older, and middle-aged people and, and the, like a family. And it's a great blessing. Um, and then again, others define the church as a place where um, people go to escape reality. And for the most part, non-believers believe Christians are just gullible and foolish. They, they even believe that there's a God or that um, they're unintellectual, they're idealistic, or even to the point where they um, are the problem to society holding back the, um, um, uh, the progress of society because they're intolerant, they're judgmental, in particular in our day and age because of alternate lifestyles of homosexuality or lesbianism, and therefore we're the prudes, you know, we're holding back society. And that certainly is true today from their perspective. And still others define the church by the denominational um, affiliation that they have, attempting to convert people to their particular beliefs that maybe have no reference to the Bible. They're just um, religious uh, rules and rituals and regulations. And, um, and, and they're the modern-day Pharisees and Sadducees that existed in the day of Jesus. No different. Then there are others who define the church as the organization 
that raises money. And this you can't fault the world because this is what is portrayed so much on television, on, on radio, and also from the pulpits. That they're always begging, having plans, and all kinds of different programs to raise money. Um, Pastor Chuck had the philosophy where God guides, he provides. Uh, we have attempted to live by that from the beginning. I was not raised in church. I was brought up a Catholic. I, uh, and uh, Calvary Chapel is the only thing I know about the Word of God. And, and uh, he gave a great example. We try to live by that. And we try to live within our means. And we try to leave you alone. And we just feed you the Word of God and commend you to God. And that's it. And as long as you keep showing up, we'll keep showing up to teach. And, um, and, and we'll just keep doing it till nobody's here. And then we just go home too. Um, that's, that's what we do. Um, the word uh, church is used in the New Testament, um, and it's a very appropriate word. The word church is made up of two words, ek, out, and kaleo, to call. It's the people called out from the world um, who have been come under the conviction of their sin through the preaching of the gospel. The word is used uh, to describe a civil assembly of people as in Athens that's characterized by citizens that have the power to declare war, um, to elect generals, to raise funds. And they began with prayer and sacrifice, and they later used the word in a wider sense for a convened assembly of citizens, as in the book of Acts, when they questioned their assembly in Acts chapter 19, verse 32, 39, and 41. The word ecclesia describes and identifies the people who were um, born again, will be born again, or have been born again. Once again, it's a very specific description. Those who have um, been transformed by the grace of God, and they have responded by the grace and by the initiation of God, and they are um, responding in recognition of their sinfulness and their need of a Savior. Um, Jesus calls a person to respond not merely to believe, for devils believe, but at least they tremble, James 2.19 tells us. Um, Peter says that we're to be more diligent to make our call and election sure in Second Peter 1.10. So we want to make sure that we're not just playing church, that we are the church. We want to make sure that we're just not being a, a vessel of information being poured into us, but that we are allowing that information of the Word of God to transform our hearts and our minds from day to day. Paul declared, moreover, when, whom he predestined, him he also called in Romans 8.30. And so God understands the salvation from the beginning to the end. He calls us to abide in him, to trust him, to look towards him, and to be faithful to him as a bride to her groom. No contradiction, the call of, of the people of God um, it's for a place of blessing and service, as Romans 8.30 says there. To be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Romans 8 has nothing to do with predestination for salvation. It has to do with predestination and confirmation for service. That's what it has, okay? It's important. Those called are the community of God's redeemed. The word redeem implies belonging to some to God. It means we belonged to him before, and because of the fall, you were alienated from him, and now you, he gets to redeem you through the sacrifice of his son. Um, that implies that he previously owned you. It's much like a pawn shop, you know. When you go into a pawn shop, 
you can only redeem what you have pawned and it gives you a set amount of time. If you go into a pawn shop and, you, the, and it, that what it, the object you're going to get doesn't never belong to you, you don't buy it. You don't redeem it. You buy it. You redeem only what was per, previously yours. And so God is our creator. He redeems us. The word ecclesia appears 115 times in the New Testament. On Paul's letters, it is found 62 times. In Acts, 24 times. Hebrews, 2 times. James, 1, 3 times. In John, Revelation, 20 times. That's where the word appears the most. In the gospel, it is found only three times. Matthew 16, 18. Um, I will build my church. And then in Matthew 18, 17. Uh, the church discipline, um, where two or three are gathering, he will do what we ask. And the context is church discipline, and that's found twice there. Now, the concept and idea throughout the New Testament is clear and unmistakable. The church belongs to Jesus, okay? Our English word that relates the church as his is the Greek word kirkikos, and it means belonging to the Lord, it appears two times in the New Testament. Once in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty for the Lord's Supper. And the other one for Sunday, the Lord's Day in Revelation 1, 10. So the church is his, not our. We are the church. We belong to him. This building is not the church. Paul told the Ephesian elders, Christ is the one who purchased the church with his own blood. As he spoke to the Ephesian elders in Acts twenty twenty eight. We do not own the church. We cannot increase the church or add to the church. Jesus does this. Now, the church is said to be the bride of Christ, as we um, opened up with. The marriage metaphor has been used throughout the Old Testament. For your maker is your husband, Isaiah 54, 5, just to mention one of many. Uh, for as a young man marries a virgin, so shall your sons marry you. And as a bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Isaiah 62, 5. Then Hosea has to be one of the main ones. Hosea was, uh, was to redeem his wife, as you know, Gomer, who had played the prostitute on him and been unfaithful. And she had conceived uh, as her, in her unfaithfulness. And uh, God calls Hosea to redeem her, buy her back from the slave market. And it was to be a picture of what he was going to do to Israel in Hosea 2, 7 and 19. His love so far different than our own here on earth. Israel, wife of God, is divorced. The church is a chaste virgin that is looking for a marriage. The two are distinct and different and obvious consistently through the Bible. Today, the church is confusing the two. And that's where you get replacement theology, where they say the church is the new Israel. Never, never could there be such a wrong mistake like that. And yet it exists so much today prevalent. The church is a virgin bride, Jew and Gentile, one in Christ Jesus. Israel is the, bride, is the wife that's been put away because she has been unfaithful. And she will be redeemed through the remnant of Israel, as Paul says in Romans 9, 10, and 11, and is evident through the book of Revelation from chapter 6 to 19. Now, the marriage metaphor of the bride is also used in the New Testament, and there are other metaphors, um, but this is the most intimate and binding. 
Um, you can have a boyfriend, a girlfriend, you can even live with them or whatever. But once you're married, you will never be the same. You have made a commitment before God. You made a commitment before people. You made a commitment to one individual. And uh, God will hold you responsible for that. Believer or non-believer. Very important. The imagery of marriage is um, to bring into our mind the thoughts of a husband or wife. Attraction, love, commitment, sacrifice, forgiveness, dying to self as Christ died for our sins. Um, Jesus uses the figure of marriage in his parable of the wedding feast as um, the king arranged the marriage for his son, as you know. And he likened it unto the kingdom of heaven to communicate the purpose of his coming. And he called people to himself in Matthew 22, 1 through 14. But all made light of the invitation. Speaking of the Jewish nation, the servants were sent out to the highways and byways to uh, invite all those around there. Speaking of the Gentiles who would be brought into the church. And the wedding garment provided were to be worn by the persons. One person got in there without the garment and he dared to do that and he was cast out. The garment is given to us by him, by grace through faith, by the sacrifice of his life for us, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. The message was the gift of salvation, providing our need, our needed righteousness for justification. Paul says through the death of Christ, Jews were dead in the law and free to marry another, namely Christ, to bring forth fruit unto God in Romans 7, 4. And so the law condemns man. It points to his guilt. It accuses them. The law never rewards you. The gospel of grace saves you and places your sin in the deepest ocean. John the Baptist said that uh, he was the, bride, the friend of the bridegroom who would hand over the bride. Uh, to the groom and the disciples of John in John three twenty five and 29, they were telling John that everybody was going to Jesus. He says, I, I am the friend of the bridegroom. I am to hand the bride over to him. You know, I must decrease, he must increase. You know, I've performed many marriages in the last 40 some years and I've never seen a bride dragged up. All of them have walked up with a big smile. This is to be the bride of Christ. Not to be biting your nails or biting the bullet and, you know, and, you know, you're excited, you're in love with him, you can't wait, you are being faithful, you're preparing yourself for him. That's the church. The bride figure reaches its climax in the relationship of husband to wife in Ephesians chapter 5, 21 through 33, as he puts Christ, the head of the church, the bride, the church, husbands and wives, and he makes a parallel of it. That is the highest imagery that we are given in the New Testament. Um, the husband is to love the wife as Christ loved the church and gave his life for it. Um, there's no taller order, a more impossible order than that. Therefore, there must be a dying to self both by the husband and the wife to be able to fulfill that. We'll never do it on our own. It's impossible. Um, the church as a bride... In her relationship united with Christ as a spouse as a chaste virgin, Paul says in Second Corinthians uh, eleven two, her purity is not her own. Our righteousness is a filthy rags. If he, Isaiah sixty four six says a menstrual garment, he gives us that gown. Our purity is given to us by His virtue of Christ, who has purified us without spot or wrinkles. Ephesians five twenty six and twenty seven says. Um, 
this type of love causes us to be enamored with him and to love him more and more as we grow in our relationship with him. The bride is the submissive uh, party of the, of the marriage uh, towards Christ, uncompromising in everything. Ephesians 5.24 says, the word um, to be submissive or subject, it depends how it's translated, but it's the word hupatasso, it's a military term to line up under someone, under authority. And uh, any of you who have been in the military, you know that you never salute the man, you salute the rank. The man could be an idiot, but you salute the rank. But in the scriptures, the submission is to a true higher authority, and that is Christ. The submission of the woman to the man is never an inferiority, but it's always for effectiveness and for productivity and for honor. Each having its own order. In 1 Corinthians 11.3, God gives us the created order of God. The head of Christ is God the Father. The head of the man is Christ. The head of the woman is the man. And there is no inferiority implied there at all. Otherwise, you would have to say that Jesus is inferior to the Father because he submitted himself to the Father. Never could that be. Now, it is in response to his love by giving himself for his bride. Christ is the head of the church to protect, to provide, and to plan future for her, just as the husband to the bride. It's a parallel. The husband's to follow Christ, the example to be followed. The wife is submissive to him as the husband and the wife are submissive to Christ. It is for a good flowing oil machine. Not perfect, not sinless, but it's workable it's a doable thing, and you will enjoy life and marriage more than ever before, in spite of us, not because of us. The spousal was a binding as marriage, as you know. The pledge was expected to be in the future. And so Paul reveals Christ will come for us. When somebody was a spouse, they had that one-year period. And if they were wanted to get uh, break it off, they had to get a legal divorce in the Jewish uh, culture. Um, 1 Thessalonians 4.17 says that he will come for us in the rapture and we will harpassle, um, remove us suddenly, violently, and we will um, be glorified on the way up and the body of the dead will be raised and they will receive their bodies and we will go before the Bema Seat of Christ to be rewarded. There will be the wedding. Then we'll come back for a thousand-year honeymoon and it will be nice. Uh, John reveals the long-awaited day of Christ's return to set up the kingdom. Revelation nineteen six through nine and John comment is Blessed are they which are called into the marriage supper of the Lamb, Revelation nineteen nine. Um it, it's hard to believe that it's been forty five years um since I've been born again this month, next month. It's um it's gone by so fast. Um it's like just um seems like a couple of years really. Not that long. Westcott comments on Ephesians 5, 26 and 27, the following. Listen carefully. He loved the church, not because it was holy, but in order to make it holy by union with himself. The husband's love must bear the same test and overcome all failings of the wife. She is part of him, as Christians are of Christ, and claims the same tender affection which Christ bestows on the church. Excellent comment. Excellent. 
If a person understands the nature of the church from Scripture, they will be able to reject and expose any and all teaching that do violence to the nature of the church. At any period in history, at any period of a person's life, at any period of life in the church, at any place in the world, because you have the Word of God. Acts 17.11 says this, these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they searched, received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether those things were so. You have the plumb line. You can discern. You can judge when someone is speaking and they say they're speaking God's word. You can judge it. You better judge it. If a person understands the nature of the church from scripture... They know that Jesus makes himself fully responsible for his church. Jesus saves people by the preaching of the gospel. Romans ten seventeen. Faith comes by fearing, hearing by the word of God. Jesus convicts sinners of their sin, uh, righteousness, and judgment by the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that in John fourteen sixteen. Jesus defends and fights for his church throughout the ages under persecution, protection, under good times, whatever it may be. I will build my church, Matthew sixteen eighteen. Jesus guides and directs his church. All you have to do is read the book of Acts from chapter 1 to 28. It should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. <laughs> that would be a better title. Jesus provides a place, the finances necessary for his church, supernatural need for his people. He and he alone. Ephesians three twenty and 21 says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. It's to him and him alone. So this is what the church is according to the Bible. Secondly, what is the development concept of the church. Paul is the one that we owe this uh, uh, information to through the Holy Spirit as he has developed the greater developed concept of the church through the scriptures, especially the epistles like Ephesians and the book of Colossians as he writes very detailed about it. In Ephesians 1.6, he says, everyone in the church has equal standing in the beloved. Christ again is the head of the church. Ephesians chapter 1 there tells you that, verse 22, 23, 523. All are saved by grace through faith, Ephesians 2, 8. All are God's workmanship in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 2, 10. All are one in Christ. The middle wall partition has been broken down between Jew and Gentile or any other cultural, racial, economic barrier, Ephesians 2, 14. We are one in Christ Jesus, one family. You remember the difficulty of attempting to find the common denominator in fractions? I don't even know if they do fractions anymore. Um, but once it clicked, it clicked. But when it didn't click, it wasn't nice. All the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, the gospel of Christ, Ephesians 2.20. All individually and collectively comprise the temple of God in Ephesians 2.21 and 22. All have access to the full knowledge about the church the mystery hidden in Christ for ages till the New Testament in Ephesians 3, 9. 
All the church is now an open display to God's wisdom to the angels in heaven, Ephesians 3.10 says. And all are connected in Christ to each other in order to maximize and the efficiency and the effectiveness of the body, the church, in Ephesians 4.16. Incredible book, book of Ephesians. Everyone in the church is different also. So the body is comprised of many members, yet it is one body, and this is illustrated throughout the scriptures very vividly. All have received the measure of faith, Romans 12.3 says. We're, not, we're all different. He knows how he's going to use us, so he dispenses that measure of faith. All have not the same office, Romans 12.4. Some are helpers, some are, uh, have the gift of, of, of um, teaching, others different things, governments. All the gifts are there in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14. All have uh, the different gifts according to grace. It's important now because we're telling. They're not talents, they're not natural abilities, but supernatural gifts of Romans 12.6 and Ephesians 4.7. All are given gifts as God divinely uh, divides severally as he wills in 1 Corinthians 12, 11, and 18. So we seek him for the gift, but he decides which gift is best and where I fit in the body. All is God's divine sovereign work by his spirit in the diversity of the church, the body of Christ. Notice diversity means different, not like diversity is defined today. The same. It's a contradiction. It's a definition of an idiot. When you go to school, diversity means different, not same. Okay? So you have the cultural relativity that goes on that contradicts human logic and brains. All right? So diversity is different, but one body in unity. Very important. There is organization, but it's that which the Holy Spirit puts together not that comprised by corporate principles as many churches function today. There is to be shared effectiveness, yet the bigger the church, the easier it is to hide. So each one of us have a responsibility to make ourselves available to God, not to the pastor, not to the elders, to God, as we seek Him to direct us. All are to recognize Christ as the head, all are to be seeking their gifts, all are to be exercising their gifts, and all are to see themselves as part of the whole body. It is not in competition, it's in completion, one part after another. Pasadena is but a small part of the entire church of Jesus Christ. We're just a little piece, that's all. <laughs> all are to recognize their importance for the life of the body. Listen to the comment of Weiss, the Greek commentator, and I'm quoting. The life of the head flowing through the bands of supply is constantly joining together and causing to grow together the individual members, this process being controlled or dominated by the operative energy put forth, the volume or strength of this operative energy coming from the head of, to the body, being determined by the capacity of each part to hold and allow to operate in him or her. It's like putting one horse to pull something and then you put 20 horses together. Now you can pull a lot. Now the one is not working as hard. It's real simple. All are to recognize the privilege of being called by God through the uh, his grace and His love, all are to strive to glorify God, not man, not self. In our inter 
interdependence, we need one another. In our interrelationships, we affect one another. Today, people believe that it doesn't matter how people live, yet do any of us believe that if a member of our family lived the way they wanted to, they wouldn't affect us? It's a crazy philosophy people live under. Superficial. Selfish. Going against all evidence. Every time the word church appears, the context must be examined because it is used in Scripture in four different ways. Let me give them to you. First, the universal church is represented by the entire company of believers in Christ, both living and dead. So those who belong to the Lord here on earth and those who have gone already to heaven. Then there's the local church. Is the actual assembly of believers in one place gathered to fellowship, like the church at Corinth, the church at Thessalonica, church at Pasadena, or whatever. Then thirdly, the assembly of believers as the actual gathering of believers in one place uh, at different kinds of fellowship. And we have that like in 1 Corinthians 11, 18, 14, 19, and that when they were gathering for the Lord's Supper, different things. And then there's the small house church, those congregations that met in homes at first. We have a building here, but we started in a home, and most Calvary chapels started in a home Bible study, and it developed into a church. And so there was the early uh, church that met in homes. Um, of the 115 times the word church, ecclesia, appears, only five refer to an assembly or Israel. In Acts 7, 38, 19, 32, and 39, and 41, and also Hebrews 2, 12. At Pentecost, the church was officially birthed by the Spirit of God. In Acts 2, God is the one who asks of the church daily, such as should be saved. Acts two forty seven says, all are called to the straight and narrow path and to enter by the one door, which is Christ, and becomes part of the church. Everybody has the same requirement, goes through the same door, worships the same Lord, and comes on the same basis, grace through faith, that not of ourselves. If you have one battery, you have a, a certain amount of power. But even as I illustrated with the horses, if you have 20 batteries now, it's going to last you longer, be a little brighter. And it's the same with the people of God. As God adds to the church, then he uses that. He's told the disciples and apostles, you will be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Where you live, in your neighborhoods, where your children go to school, where you work. If a person understands the nature of the church from the scriptures, a person will not fall prey to new philosophies that contradict, alter, or supplement the concept of the church in the New Testament. Like the Gnostics of the first century, and they developed into the second, with First John was written against. They um, taught that matter was evil and spirit was good. Therefore, a person could... Uh, Enjoy the spirit, and since matter was evil anyway, and it didn't matter, it wouldn't affect your spirit, then they enjoyed the world, sin, everything else, and they, you know, said they could enjoy both things. That's a complete contradiction to Scripture. There are many people like that today in the church. No such thing. 
Like the Catholic Church that teaches salvation through the Roman Catholic Church alone, with her many dogmas and works of salvation, um, Mary, a co-redemptress, and saints and virgins and intercessors, so on and so forth, completely against the Scripture. That's not the Church. It's not the Church of Jesus Christ. Like the teaching of universalism, that everyone is a child of God and all is going to end up in heaven, even Satan, really. Wow. Then why did Jesus have to die then? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father by me. John 14, 6. In that one statement, he destroyed every ism, every other way, every other method, everything that contradicts the word of God. God is intolerant. God is the most intolerant person when it comes to his word. His word is the only thing that he holds us responsible for. If a person understands the nature of the church in the scriptures, a person will not be swayed by the intellectual approaches that exalt itself against the Bible teaching about the church by men that are sincerely wrong. They come in every age, in every generation. Robert Schuller, the late Robert Schuller, was a pioneer of the church growth movement, appealing to the intellect. And man's positive thinking, Norman Peale, uh, believing in yourself, um, Fuller Seminary, that was one of their golden calves. Uh, he was a really, the real original um, church growth guy. You have uh, McDonald, Donald McGavern, who was the dean of Fuller Seminary over here of missions and, um, and church growth. And Fuller Seminary, and then you had Peter Wagner that now is deceased also. He took the chair of McGavern. And um, McGavern wrote his book, Understanding Church Growth. And, and people go to a seminary there in Fuller to learn all about church growth, how to make your church grow, how to make it grow. And they run it like a corporation, like a business, and anything else. And no longer do we need Jesus Christ because, you know, we've gotten so smart, we don't need him. Hmm. Peter Wagner wrote a book, Leading Your Church to Growth. And he also got mixed up with the late John Wimber with Signs and Wonders um, on how to evangelize through miracles. And they taught the class there at Fuller Seminary on how to do miracles and even raise people from the dead. Interesting. So we're not to follow signs and wonders, but... Signs and wonders are to follow us. Very important. If a person understands the nature of the church scripturally, a person will not fall prey to the various movements that promise to make the church grow through man's methods and doctrines that corrupt the nature of the church. The positive confession of health and wealth, nabbit and gravid. Um, they make a big distinction between the word logos and the word rima. Rhema is the spoken word and logos is the concept of the word. Uh, no Greek scholar would ever make that distinction, yet they have used it to just promote their false doctrine, which is nothing but greed. And Paul says those who think that godliness is gain, get away from them. Get away from them. The seeker-friendly church movement of Rick Warren, based on the principles of church growth also, seeking the cultural relativity uh, to 
a peace people, a social gospel according to the people's desire at the expense of the gospel, sin, and repentance being one of the major ecumenical movements of our day. Pastor Rick Warren is the golden calf of this movement, and he's written his 40-day purpose and everything else, guaranteeing your church to double, and people have done it, and they've gotten the results, and it's their church. They've made it grow. It's their church. It's not the church of Jesus Christ. They can have it. They can own up to it. They, it's theirs. It says, And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Acts 2.47. What is it that we don't understand? The emergent church movement with its new reformation, generous orthodoxy, which is nothing but philosophical paganism called Christianity, misrepresenting the gospel and Christianity, a good example of syncretism. You bring in outside things under the umbrella of Christianity, you call it Christianity. Rick Warren, again, is the stepping stone to the emergent church movement that rejects the Bible as the authoritative word of God, despising anyone who studies prophecy in the return of Jesus Christ. Brian McLaren says the book of Revelation is about the kingdom of God now, claiming Jesus had nothing to say about the period of catastrophic a catastrophic judgment. Wow. Leonard Sweet, Dan Kimball, Thomas Morton, Richard Foster are some of the gurus of the emergent church movement that Warren embraces being the stepping tone to the emergent church. They do not believe in the life of Jesus was an atoning sacrifice for our sins of all the world, but merely an example to follow nor do they believe you can know anything with certainty from the scriptures. Therefore, there's no objective truth being taught. It's all subjective and out of context. That's why they say, let's just love one another. Let's not fight about doctrine. No, let's fight. <laughs> Jesus died for the doctrine, ladies and gentlemen. The Christian church has died People have been tortured, burned at the stake, de-gutted, beheaded, imprisoned, drowned, whipped, because they did not deny their faith. Wow. The emergent church seeks to establish the kingdom of God through good works. Understanding the word of God and gospel of grace of salvation that is being undermined. Including all faiths as being spiritual. Not having to be saved by the gospel of grace alone, but ecumenical. Mixing mystical practices of Catholicism, Hinduism, New Age, um, contradicting um, Gospel of grace in many ways. This is nothing new. It's been around for about 20 years or so. So this is the uh, developed concept of the church according to the Bible. We get it through the epistles, through the book of Acts. Anything apart from that? We're not to pay attention if it contradicts the scriptures. The scriptures are the standard. Let's finish up with the third point. What is the church to do? This describes her function. 
Is the church to be known for its bake sales, raising money, being substitute parents, a place of dating? That's the cultural church today. But that's not what the Bible portrays the church as. The church has a mission to the lost. It's called the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. By calling people into the kingdom, by preaching the gospel, the Holy Spirit, saving the lost. The word preaches caruso, as you know. It appears 61 times in the New Testament. The figure is that of considerable importance in the ancient world. The man was an, a man of integrity and character employed by the king or the state to make public proclamations. The herald's authority was not his own. It was vested to him to make the proclamation. The message was not his. It was given to him. The herald was not responsible for the response of the people simply to make the proclamation. Jesus called the 12 disciples. They responded, and he made them apostles. Peter called those to repentance in the day of Pentecost, 3,000 were added to the church in Acts 2.41. Paul called many Gentiles and they were saved, Acts chapter 9, all the way to 28. God has used the same method throughout the ages, ladies and gentlemen. It has never changed. But also, by seeing people sent out by the Lord Jesus as laborers and missionaries. Jesus is the primary example of the greatest missionary. He left his throne, divested himself of his glory, and he came down to wash feet and to die for the world. Jesus sent the 12 disciples, the 70, to reach the lost in the Gospels. Jesus gave the Great Commission to his disciples in Matthew and Mark and Luke and in John and in Acts 5 times. Jesus called Barnabas and Saul to the mission field, Acts 13, 1 through 4. Separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work of the mission which I have called them. That's how it works. We don't send people out. We just pray for people that God has called out. I've never sent anybody out of here. I've kicked a couple of people out, but I've never sent anybody out. But I've had people come and say, you know, the Lord's calling me out and he's going to send me here. And I'm going to go out there. I believe he's going to, hey, let me let's pray for you. Drop us a line. The only way it works is if God calls you, anoints you, and he sends you. If men send you out, you'll probably fail. Or you'll resort to your own talent and abilities to put it all together. God is the one who does it, ladies and gentlemen. We have been privileged to go to many places in the last 40 years or so. Germany, Bulgaria, Scotland, the Philippines, Japan, Central South America, Mexico, South Pacific, Fiji, Tonga, New Zealand, and many others. By the grace of God. Jesus said, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Mark eight thirty four. Losing sight of ourselves. Because he is the head. And I died in 1973. So if I died in 1973, why am I trying to live today? Now this doesn't mean you're irresponsible to your responsibilities at home and painting the house and mowing the lawn. No, no, no. Those things go. But I don't live for myself any longer. 
That is a constant commitment. It doesn't happen automatically. I wish I could put it on cruise control. I cannot. I must be filled with the Spirit of God. Do good warfare. Put on the armor. Put on the mind of Christ. We're to occupy. Do business till he comes. Luke 19, 13 says. The church has also a ministry to the church to mature the saints. Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. This is discipleship. Those once lost now become students of the word of God. And they become disciples, students, pupils. By the men of God who are called, gifted apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers in Ephesians 4.11. For the equipping of the members, for the work of ministry, for the edification of the body of Christ. Verse 12 says, Till all come together to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature man, to the measure and stature of the fullness in Christ. In verse 13. Just like your child comes home, it grows develops and matures on every level, right? You want to see your kid grow. You want to see him grow in proportion. You don't want one arm longer than the other, okay? You're watching. You're looking, all right? You need all three, growth, development, and maturity. In verse 14 of Ephesians 4, that they be no longer... Children tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine, with the trickery of man, cunning craftiness, the lie and deceit. Satan, the world, and others will be there to deceive you. That's why you you need to know the word of God. By speaking the truth in love and grow up in all things in him who is the head of Christ. To ensure also the health of the effectiveness of the body by every part, again, Supplying its full effectiveness to edify the body in verse 16. You don't have to orchestrate it. You just, you be obedient to God. He puts it all together. Like he does every Sunday morning, every Sunday evening, every midweek, every Tuesday for the past close to 40 years. He puts it all together. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciple and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. I am the vine you're the branches. John eight thirty one and 32 and John fifteen five. Continue. If you continue my word. Christ will reward us only for what we have done in agape love. 1 Corinthians 4, 5. He's not impressed with how much I do or what I do. He cares of why and how I do it. It's a love for God and love for people. Then I have reward. The church also has a mandate to worship God. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4 through 10, you've read it. And in chapter 5, 9 through 10, the pictures of the church before the throne of heaven, uh, casting their crowns at the feet of Jesus Christ. The identity can only fit the church. The theme of heaven is worship. So the theme of the church on earth here should be the worship of Jesus Christ. No different. Not the worship of the pastor. Not the worship of the movement. Not the worship of the building. Not the worship of the bank account. But Jesus Christ. Worship comes from the Anglo-Saxon word, meaning to attribute worth to something. Most words in the Old Testament communicate the idea of prostrating oneself before God in reverence and adoration. Moses at Sinai, Ezekiel, and Babylon are good examples, always on their faces. Good practice. Worship is understanding and being aware of God's holiness and one's unworthiness. Constantly. 
Isaiah said, woe is me, I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. Isaiah 6, 5. Isaiah 64, 6. My righteousness of filthy rags. Worship results from God's word and the Holy Spirit filling our hearts. Ephesians 5, 18 and 19. Colossians 3, 16 and 17. Making melodies and songs in our heart unto the Lord. Corporate worship is important, but most must never substitute and replace personal worship. A lot of people like to go to congregations and to show how spiritual they are. But they never worship God any time up after that. They love the praises of men. Our worship is in spirit and in truth, Jesus told the woman of Samaria in John 4, 23 and 24. That is because the church, spirit and in truth, spirit is the Holy Spirit, truth is the word of God. The Holy Spirit will never contradict the word of God, add to it or take away from it. The Holy Spirit makes the word alive. It turns on the light. We are a living stone, spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer a spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ, First Peter 2.5 says. So worship should never be confined also to a vocal expression or a bodily posture, but service and obedience to God. When you're obeying God and I obey God, you're worshiping Him. You're worshiping Him. In obedience, we worship Him and acknowledge Him as our Savior and our Lord. In service, we worship Him by doing it in His name and through His love in order to give people a proper representation of who God is. Trusting, not in our abilities or powers, but those of Christ through the gifts that He imparts to us, through the abilities of the Spirit, through the callings and the direction all the time. Paul puts it this way, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, Galatians 3.28. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all in all, Colossians 3.11. You know who the Scythians were? They were the northern regions out there by the Black Sea. They would take their captives, decapitate them, boil and de-skin their, their skulls and use them as drinking goblets. Those people could get saved if they repented. I presume you qualify. The majority of the church of today looks more like the church of Laodicea, the lukewarm church, trusting in her wealth, likeness, and oneness with the world, the false church. Jesus exposed her self-deception. Listen, because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Revelation 3.17. Jesus condemned her if she does not repent. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Revelation 3.16. The mission of the church is primarily not to do good works, but to proclaim the gospel and be known for its faith in Christ Jesus. I am a pastor teacher, not an evangelist, but I always do the work of an evangelist. I never finish a message without giving an altar call because I never know who's here on the radio or over the internet or if this is the last time they hear. Always. The teaching of social activism Elevates good works, making faith in Christ secondary, being a false gospel. Once again, the seeker-friendly movement of Rick Warren has the peace plan 
uh, to rid the world of poverty, hunger, and AIDS. I wouldn't challenge you to examine that peace plan in his book. It's completely out of context. It's fabricated. It's a, a castle made of sand. Incredible. Jesus says, the poor you have with you always. And he's going to get rid of it? He's greater than Jesus? Wow. Warren believes the church is going to bring in the kingdom of God by good works, rather than Jesus establishing it with his church. In fact, he believes studying prophecy, particularly the second coming, is a waste of time. His words. I get the book of my friend Roger Oakland, Faith Undone. It's up in the bookstore. It'll give you all these guys. Their words. Paul makes it very clear that faith comes by first and then you're born again. Works follow. The reverse doesn't save you. James makes that very clear. The emergent church teaches that pagans are worshiping Jesus. They just don't know it. So all we have to do is tell them that they should continue to just in their practices as long as they know Jesus. That They can continue their paganism. Really? Wow. It might shock you, but I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying to you. Paul declared, For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. First Session 1 9. What did they do with that verse? Amazing. The ministry of the church is to teach the word of God to the saints. Today, the visible church is teaching political correctness and ecumenical gospel, oneness with the world and its philosophies. No one wants to make judgments or expose what is wrong and clear error when it comes to the scriptures. Once again, Rick Warren believes that all faiths can work together and invites all to be one, Christian and non-Christian. This is ecumenicalism. Rick Warren promotes the emergent church that teaches all can have God, encounter with God through contemplative prayer by silencing your mind, a practice of yoga. And you don't have to come in the name of Jesus. His words. 1 Timothy 4, 9 through 13 says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. For to, do, to this end we both labor and suffer reproach. Because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially those who believe. These things command and teach. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example of the believer in word and conduct and love and spirit and faith and purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. Wow. The mandate of the church is to worship Jesus Christ, who is God. Him and Him alone, with all our heart, minds, and strength, according to the word of God. Listen to Revelation 22, 8 and 9. Now I, John, saw the, the, and heard these things. And then, and when I heard them, I saw and I fell on worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he said to me, see that you don't do that. For I am your fellow servant and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Wow. This is what the church is to be doing. According to the Bible. This is what the church is by nature. The church is called out people for the purpose of hearing the voice of God, the bride of Christ, according to the Bible. 
The developed concept of the church is the body of Christ. He is the head of the church, his body, the church, to the various members, according to the Bible. And the church is to be seeking the laws, maturing the saints, and worshiping Jesus, according to the Bible. This is what the church is, ladies and gentlemen. Nothing more than that. What a glorious, glorious thing God has given to us. But he alone can put it together. All we can do is mess it up. Sometimes people say, wow, you know, I, they're looking for the perfect church. And I always tell them, if you find it, don't join it. You'll mess it up. <laughs> they read the New Testament with colored glasses. Do you know how messed up the first early church was? The people that came to the church? But Jesus transformed them. It's his church. He makes himself responsible for it. He alone can do it. Father, we thank you for your grace, your love and goodness. We thank you for tonight. And uh, Lord, I thank you for every person here over the radio, Lord. Father, you deal with the people of those who do not know you out there in the world somewhere. If you're out there, you don't know Jesus Christ. And you believe that you're a sinner as I have ministered the word to you. That you call on his name and ask him to forgive you. And he will make a brand new creature of you. And bury your sins in the deepest ocean. Only you can make that decision. This is your prayer repentance. If you want to be born again, this is your prayer right now. To the Lord. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you. As Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.